888-835-2414. This is Learning with Leslie. Hello and welcome to another episode of Learning with Leslie. I'm your host, Leslie Samuel, as usual. And I am so excited because today I'm going to be doing an interview as usual, but an interview with none other than Andrew Warner, who is the founder of Mixergy.com, home of the ambitious upstart. Uh, in, in his 20s, he uses credit cards to start a 30 plus million dollars in year, million dollars per year um, internet business with his younger brother. Um, and then he started a website, Mixergy.com, to help ambitious people who love business as much as he does learn from a mix of experienced mentors. Uh, he's interviewed people like Jimmy Wales, the founder of Wikipedia, Gary Vaynerchuk, and if you've been listening to my podcast, you know who Gary Vaynerchuk is, a writer of Crush It and the Thank You Economy, Tim Ferriss from the 4-Hour Workweek, and I am so excited. I listened to a lot of his interviews, and today we're going to talk a little bit about how he came to doing what he's doing today at Mixergy and get some tips on how we can conduct successful interviews, which is something that I am very interested in. So, Andrew, thank you so much for joining me on this call today. Thanks for having me here. Awesome. Well, you, you know, you get to interview all these people. A lot of these people are people that I look up to. I read their books and um, these guys have done some awesome things. My question to you is, how does it feel to be able to uh, talk with these guys and hear directly from them about their experiences and so on? How does that feel to you? You know, I had an experience where I was reading Seth Godin's book. Mm -hmm. um, it was Tribes. Oh, yes. And as I read it, I said, this is good, but I'm not sure it makes sense. There are a lot of people who are who are successful who don't have tribes or communities. So it was Ted Turner, Sam Walton, the guy who founded Walmart. And I had a list of people in my head and I said, hmm, his ideas sound good, but why is it that all these successful people who I admired growing up didn't have tribes of their own? Why okay. didn't they have communities? Mm -hmm. And if I was just living a regular life, I would read the book, have these questions in my head, and just have to move on and say, interesting idea. I'm not sure about how, how to apply it, and I'm not sure if, it's, if it works well for everyone. Okay. A few days after I finished reading the book, I got to interview Seth Godin. And oh. I didn't start off the interview by saying, hey, Seth, tell me about your book. Let's just go through it chapter by chapter. I said – why do we need tribes? And I even pulled out the biography of Ted Turner, the autobiography of Sam Walton, and I forget one other one. And I said, look, I read these books cover to cover and none of them have communities. Why should I? Mm. And he smiled. I thought he would be a little, uh, a little insulted that I, was, that I was being argumentative, but he understood that I was being curious. Uh -huh. And I was curious because I really wanted to use it. And he said, you know, Andrew? It's true they didn't have communities of their own, but that's because they worked at a different time. Mm. Today, if you look at examples of successful companies, they're built around communities. And he gave me examples of companies that you've seen. And of course, you know it today. You take a look. Even Old Spice, the deodorant company, knows that, that it's not enough to just advertise to people. They yep. need to build their own communities. So I got to challenge him and ask him the questions that I had in my mind. And then once – those questions were answered, I was at a much more receptive place to learn about how to use his ideas and not how to use them in this big, broad um, way that, you know, books are written not just for Andrew and not just mm -hmm. for the for the 10,000 people who are like Andrew on the world. They're written for lots of people. And his book was written for for nonprofits, for big for big organizations, for governments. He told me he was hoping that, uh, that political leaders would read it. But I wanted to know, how does it apply to people like me? Mm. And we started talking about it. And he said, Andrew, the way you build a community in the early days, you just get your message out there and you oh, repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. And then you give people a way to talk to each other about it and then and so on. He kept talking about the process. And I learned and I was able to use that information. About a year later, he came back and he did another interview with me. And I said, Seth, guess what? Now, not only do I not have people – now, not only do I suddenly have people on my site thanks to what you told me in your book, mm -hmm. but now there are actually people listening to us and watching you live with me as we're doing <laughs> the second interview. Uh -huh. And there are going to be even thousands more are going to watch us afterwards. The ideas you taught me 
helped. And that's why I do these interviews. You go directly to the person who you want to learn from. You learn from them. You make it applicable. You challenge. You, you, you make it usable. And you go out there and you actually put it into practice. There is just no better way to learn. And I like that because it, it, no one puts everything they're thinking in their books. So, so there are going to be things that you want to know that you're not going to be able to know from that person just from reading that book. But if you are interviewing them, you can learn so much more. Is that kind of along uh, the lines of what you're saying? Yeah, go directly to the source. Go directly to the entrepreneur. Go directly to the person who did it. And Seth Godin's a guy who's built communities um, for years. And I got to learn directly from him, and it worked. That, you can see it now on my site. You go back. Um, I, I don't know what service you might want to use, but any one of those services, if you go and you take a look at the traffic numbers before that interview and you take a look at the traffic numbers afterwards, you see that there's a measurable impact on what I learned in that conversation. And that's one conversation out of what is now maybe 400 conversations with smart entrepreneurs who are actually building companies, not just theorizing about them on paper, but building companies. You have that kind of conversation every day, or maybe if you're listening in on my conversation mm -hmm. with these people. People every day think about how much smarter you become think about how much information that's actionable that's practical goes in your head and I and I guarantee you when you fill your head with that kind of information stuff comes out and I'll, I come back to the guarantee but I want to give you an opportunity to ask a question instead of um, instead of instead of ranting on over here but I can show you why this stuff works and, and, and you know what just to add my my perspective in there I listen to these interviews and I get so much from them and you're asking these questions and these are questions sometimes you ask a question and I'm like yes that's exactly what I was thinking so just just to hear these interviews I, just, I, I guess I'm testifying here that what you're saying is true even if you just go and listen to them extreme value. And I want to get a little more into that, but you know what? Let's kind of rewind because before Mixer G, you were doing a lot. Um, you, mm -hmm. you ran a 30 plus million dollar per year internet business. Can you tell us a little bit about what that business was about? Yes, we did uh, largely online greeting cards. Greeting cards are tremendously viral. When someone sent out one of our greeting cards, they were essentially telling uh, they were sending it to multiple people and essentially telling those people go back to check Andrew's website because if you do then you'll get to pick up my greeting card mm. so it was viral and it spread pretty fast and that's how we built up that business okay so it was sending gre greeting cards and and from what I've read uh, you were processing over 400 greeting cards per day 400,000 I mean I'm sorry I said 400 yeah. I, I meant 400,000 <laughs> Yeah. greeting cards per day. Now, how did it spread? Was it just the word of mouth when, or when I send you a card, you see that? Or did you do some other things to get traffic to that website to build it? Well, it was largely that virality that was built in. The other, the other element that helped was an affiliate program. Oh. Affiliates were way smarter than we were. They were able to come up with new greeting cards that we never would have come out with. They were able to come up with ways of retaining their audiences that we couldn't have. I'll, mm. I'll give you an example, basic idea. We thought you send out a greeting card and that's it. That's the end of the interaction. Uh -huh. Our affiliates would say, hey, when someone sends out a greeting card, we want their email address so that we can offer them new greeting cards in the future. Nice. And they started creating mailing lists of people who just wanted greeting cards. Now, if you and I were to sit in a boardroom or if you and I were to sit at a coffee and talk about what do we need to add to a greeting card business, mm -hmm. if we were to survey our audience and say, what would you like us to add to a greeting card business? Nowhere in any of those conversations would someone come up with the idea that you have to have an email list of greeting cards. Today, maybe you understand it because yeah. everything needs a greeting, an email list. My refrigerator has an email list and, it's, <laughs> uh, and I'm subscribed to it. But back then, we wouldn't have known. They came up with those ideas. And what it turned out was there's a group of people who loved sending greeting cards out often and repeatedly. And these weren't people who you're going to see on the edges of the country. They're going to be more in the middle of the country. These aren't mm -hmm. people who are right out of college. They're later on in life. These aren't people who are in the tech community. But those people make up the heart of, I believe, the heart of this country and I know that they made the heart of our business. And so it would be grandmothers sending greeting cards to five of their kids or five of their grandkids and it would be not Merry Christmas. We might only send out a greeting card for the holidays. But for them, it was like, happy Monday, happy Thursday. Uh -huh. Anyway, so the affiliate said, we, we are going to create mailing lists. Now, what was our relationship with the affiliates? 
They made the greeting cards. We paid them every time one of their greeting cards were sent out. And we were able to do that because our revenue came in from uh, co-reg deals, from lead generation deals, and those deals were part of the uh, part of the sending process of the greeting card. Okay, so they didn't necessarily have to pay for the greeting cards, or I mean, were you making money? Oh no, it's it was all free. You'd send out nice. a greeting card free. The the flow would be like this: you'd be you wouldn't be Leslie. You would be uh, Leslie's great great grandmother. Uh-huh. You'd, you'd be an older person. And you'd want to find a way to stay in touch with your with your relative and come to the website mm-hmm. and you'd pick out a greeting card and maybe it would be bouncing smiley faces and you say, bouncing smiley faces make me happy. They're going to make my grandson Leslie happy. Mm-hmm. I'm going to send it to him. And so you go to the to address it. You put in your name, you know, great, great grandmother. You put in your email address, papa, something at hotmail.com, no uh-huh. doubt. And then you put in Leslie's email. And then you go, oh, my goodness. But then I've got all these other grandkids. They're going to feel so <laughs> left out if uh-huh. I don't do it, if I don't include them. So then you start typing in every grandkid's name and maybe the parents too so they know that you love the grandkids. Now you fill it all out. You add a message and you hit submit. Before you leave, we say after you hit submit and your greeting card is out, we say, by the way, great-great-grandmother or by the way, whoever sent this, did you know you could get Time Magazine seven weeks for free? Just sign up now, and then you have to pay later on if you want to continue the subscription. Nice. You know, these are like the, the like the cards that you get that fly out of those magazines uh-huh, still uh-huh. to this day. And we knew your name. We know, like, if your name was uh, Betty Rubble, you'd we'd say we'd greet you by that. We'd say, "Hey, Betty Rubble, did you know you could also get Time Magazine for free? All you have to do is tell us where to ship it. We already know your name, so we're kind of like friends. You don't have to type it in, so uh-huh. that makes it even easier for you. Just give us your address and submit." We then would get, I think it was like $7.50 every time somebody said, yes, I want that magazine. Nice. And that's essentially our model right there. And we'd kick off uh, some portion of that to the affiliate that created the greeting card and sent the traffic to our site. Nice, nice. Now, oh, that, that sounds awesome. And it sounds like a very, it's a very cool thing. You know, you're bringing smiles to people's faces and, and you're building a business at the same time. I'm just wondering, is, is there a story behind why you guys decided to do the whole greeting card thing? Um, uh, why greeting cards? Because that's where the market was. I okay. mean, frankly, I didn't uh, I didn't go to college and I didn't study business books and I didn't admire great people for years so that I could be in the greeting card business. Uh-huh. I wanted to just build a profitable company and I was going to go wherever the money was. I I don't know where I would have ended up if it, if the money would have been somewhere else. Mm. But that's what I was chasing. I was a guy who didn't have much money. Didn't okay. have any money at all. I was a guy who didn't have much confidence. And all my money, all my confidence, all my happiness in the world was going to come from one thing, building a successful company. Nothing else was going to fill that hole in my heart. Kind of like the way some people like want to fall in love in order to have that hole filled. For me, it was the business that was going to mm. fill that hole. Because I actually believe that if you have the business, then everything else comes in. Everything else works out. And I believe that if you love someone – and you're having money trouble and you're having career trouble and you're not sure what to do, that weighs on you. I know it's weighed mm-hmm. on me in the past and mm-hmm. you can't really fully be in the relationship. You can't fully be happy with yourself under those circumstances. Now, sure, you can go to therapy and learn how to be happy without having much in your life. And sure, you can read self-help books from mm-hmm. every every shelf in the bookstore that will teach you like from the self-help section and also from the uh, philosophy section and also from the psychology section. And at the end of that, you're going to find out how to love and how to be accepting of yourself and how to be involved with other people without the worry of having money trouble. Or you can just shut up and sit down at your desk and work like mad and build a (laughs) successful company and everything else falls into place. And the direction that I chose to be in was that second direction. Now, let me tell you, on Mixergy in the early days, I did an interview with a psychologist who I shared this philosophy with who thought there was something wrong with me? And I forget the name that he gave to me for having this <laughs> idea. So I'm not going to say that this is the healthiest way to look at life. Uh-huh. But I'm going to say this is my way. <laughs> All right. So did you enjoy what you were doing when you were um, building that business? I did. It was a lot of fun. They say that if you're in a, in a product that you don't really love, that you're not going to love business. I, I just loved the, the math of it. I loved figuring out the conversion rates. I loved figuring out... Um, I love figuring out how to increase revenue. I love figuring out how to make sales. I just love the business side of business. 
I talk to entrepreneurs all day long now. Who, mm-hmm. They don't love the business side of things. They don't love the sell. They what they love is the development. What they love mm-hmm. is the design. So it takes all kinds. I'm lucky that for me it was the business side of business. And I'm lucky that I had a brother who for him it was the programming side. He loved to sit and read those big programming books. He loved to learn how to how to code. He loved to teach himself languages, not like the language you speak to a person, but the language yeah. you type at a keyboard. Yeah. So there's that. And, and and that's awesome. You you are doing what you're passionate about. Um, and, you know, I like to tell people to do what you're passionate about. Find a niche that you're passionate about. And for you, you're, it, it wasn't necessarily that you were passionate about the niche, but you were passionate about the biz dev aspect of it, building that business and having it being successful. That's awesome. So So why did you stop? I got burned out. Ah, okay. I got burned out, and I also when we went from thirty-eight million to I don't know what it was, suddenly like half a million a month in revenue or something like that. I felt like a failure. Mm. So I never had a down year, and suddenly I had a down year. I didn't realize that it was because the whole market had a down year, and it was fine. I didn't realize that I still had an asset, which was twenty million unique email addresses, maybe, maybe even wow. more than that actually. Unique email addresses in our mailing list. Permission to email them every day. Mil- millions of uh, people who we were touching. I just should have, if I wasn't burned out, maybe I would have realized that that those were valuable, that the revenue was still there, that the audience size was still there, um, and just waited it out. Mm. Maybe. One of my problems was that I that at some point I needed to have a life. I kept saying I'm going to work so that I could have something. And mm. then I kept working and never took the break to go have that whatever something was. Anyway, eventually I did have the opportunity to do it. We sold off the different assets of the business, not the whole business, but the different assets of them. Uh-huh. Gave me a lot of freedom, no responsibility. I was able to just take off and go uh, go explore the rest of my life. And what did you do when you took off? Mm-hmm. The most important thing for me was to get rid of stuff. For some reason, I'm, I feel very oppressed by stuff. Okay. People will sometimes ask me for my address. And I just want to say, please don't. I know what you're going to do. You're going to send me a gift. You're going to send me something. <laughs> and I love you for caring. Believe me. I, I'm still I'm still not so – I still – the insecure person in me that, that started out thinking no one likes him is still in there and says, I can't believe somebody would even want to send me something. So I'm grateful. But uh-huh. at the same time, there's a part of me that goes, now I got to find a place to stack it. Then I got to find a place to to toss it out later or I'm going to bring it with me to the house and it's uh-huh. going to fill up my place. Or I'm going to feel bad tossing it out or you might come and ask to see it, all these other things. So I don't want stuff. So the first thing that I did was the most liberating thing was just get rid of all my stuff. Mm. The next thing that I did was I went to a different part of the country where I can go and just be without anything. And in Venice Beach, there's this, there was this one guy. If you ever saw on Venice Beach on television, you see there are a lot of people doing their own crazy thing. And I love that. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to live in Venice Beach. Mm-hmm. But there's one guy who was sitting there with a towel or blanket full of whatever he was selling. I don't even know. But I remember looking at his face and saying – he just looks so just at peace. He doesn't care if he makes a sale today or not. He doesn't care if uh, if it rains. He's just just kind of doing it. And I said, I'm now at a stage in my life where I'm ready to just kind of sit there and be. And for all I know, the guy could have been stoned out of his mind. <laughs> and for me, I'm not a drug person, so it wouldn't have helped me to get stoned like that. <laughs> To just accept that that's where I wanted to be and to be there was very helpful. That guy's image, I, I'm trying to conjure it up in my head right now and I mm-hmm. can't, but there was a long time when that image, that peacefulness is what I was looking for. And his image just was, it just felt like it was stuck there in my head mm-hmm. as I was pursuing it. Mm-hmm. So, so, so you just kind of stopped what you yep. were doing and just took a break. Yep. Now, how long was that break? It was a very long time. In fact, even when I started Mixergy, before there was a name Mixergy, I didn't want to have a website. I said, I don't want this thing. I'm done with the internet. I'm done with work. I'm just done. And someone had to create a website because we started doing events and just bring me back. We should have, you know, there was a time, there's a time that we probably should have studied, a time after the dot-com bubble burst. Mm-hmm. We should have done more. We should have had interviews back then with entrepreneurs to just see what they were going through. Because can you imagine having – being top of the mountain and suddenly having the mountain knocked from under you and falling on your head? That's what happened. There was this one guy. I forget who he was on 60 Minutes. He was bragging about how he was going to 
take over television and put 60 Minutes out of business or redo their business. I mm-hmm. forget specifically what he said, but I remember his bravado. And I remember 60 Minutes playing that bravado after his business tanked and seeing, wow, look at that. From a high to a low in a matter of months, what does that do to a person? I think we should have just studied that and mm-hmm. understood that because I think that we all through our lives are going to have to go through it. And there aren't a lot of opportunities to see how it impacts us and how we get out of it. And there's so many people who'd been in in that situation that I wish we would have studied them and used them for guidance. I wish there was a Mixergy back then. Yeah. Okay, so take me to the beginning of Mixergy. Um, obviously, it's not. It, it has evolved. What was it in the beginning? The very thing was I was sitting at Venice Beach at a place called Cow's End Coffee Shop uh-huh. and just reading the Wall Street Journal all the time. I still loved the Wall Street Journal at the time. And there was this guy, Howard Dean, that they kept talking about. Why? Because he was a nobody who suddenly had big money in his coffers and so he was able to run for president and he had a big, big pool of people who kept following um, – who kept going to these meetups because of him. Uh-huh. And I said, look at how he's spreading this message. What is he doing? Well, it turned out according to these articles, it was the meetups and the use of the internet that got him that got him his success. And the meetups specifically were helpful for creating this team and the team then of local people who would meet up would come up with creative ideas like using the internet to raise money, which was a shock at the time. Uh-huh. And I said, if he's doing that with teams, with these little meetups, that's where the power is. I should create these meetups. But first, I want to go to Europe. So <laughs> I shelved the idea. You know, I just had it in the back of my head. I uh-huh. wanted to experiment with it. But I went to Europe and I just kind of hung out. And then I wanted to find a place to live afterwards. I said, like, what part of the country, what part of the world do I want to live in? I said, all right, let's just live in California. And then at that point, I said, let's try going back to this Howard Dean idea. Uh-huh. And my vision is not to get people to under- not to get people to change their political points of view, but to get to the message I wanted to spread was that. Real entrepreneurs are the ones who really know what it takes to build a business, mm. not the self-help gurus who know how to talk well, who know how to rhyme, who know how to, who know how to persuade. Those guys are good at that. But real business people are good at something else. Real business people are good at building businesses. They're good at the reality of what it takes to build a business. I was just on the – I was just doing an interview right now. I'm not going to give you the guy's name because I don't want to call him out for this. But in the interview, he said – I asked him, how'd you get your first users? And he said, basically, we spammed. And I do not see that in any self-help book. No business book. And this is a guy who has a lot of integrity. He's not the only one who said this. And he's saying, basically, I spammed. You will not see that in a in a built to last book. You will not see that in in a successful business book. And why is it because everyone in history who's built a business has always done everything 100% right or is it because these business books are trying to sell to middle management mm. for the most part and middle management doesn't pay for their own books, their company pays for their books and their company doesn't want to buy books for business for their employees where they say sometimes you have to just, you know, make up your own rules early on. That's what I think it is. I said, you know what? These books and these gurus are not written with the reality of the world in mind. Mm. I want to talk to real entrepreneurs who talk about the reality of what it really is like to build a business. And I thought it would be these groups. I thought they would get together and I thought that they would figure out the answers to how to spread the word. And I thought that they would figure out what the word was in greater clarity than ever than I ever could. It didn't work out that way. And it didn't work out that way partially because that's not enough ingredients to make a movement and partially because – I um I wasn't clear enough about what the movement was. I was too embarrassed to admit it. Huh. You're going to hear me in this interview and in other interviews say things that just are so personal, so hard to express oh. that it might just sound like I'm being phony about it, but it's because you know, who could ever really express it except for an actor? I'll tell you. It's there because I was too afraid in the early days of Mixergy to even articulate what the mission was, to even articulate why the mission needed to be there. And I said, I'm never going to hold back. I'm now going to be completely open. And if that means that I have to admit that part of my motivation in life was that I didn't know how to get a date early on and I knew that business would give me an opportunity to find someone to dress me properly and <laughs> teach me how to approach a woman properly and all that, then I would do it. If that if that kind of honesty is what it takes, then that's what I'm going to do. And if I need to admit that, hey, you know what? You're going to be a lot happier with money than without money, then I'm going to be that open. 
And so that's that's where this is coming from, and that's why this message is just so personal and so sometimes feels like um, like it's too personal, and it's and and it's just uh, it's why it's and it's also communicating the message, and it also helps you, I think, understand why the first iteration didn't work. I would have these groups, and I would just say, "All right, all these business people together, they're going to figure it out. That's it." And I wouldn't say, "Hey, guys, this is why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because." You know you all want to build something great. That's why you're putting your lives on the line here. You know, you're risking losing your, your money. You're risking losing your, your relationships from working too hard. So you're really putting a lot on the line here. And you want some guidance. Why don't we just guide each other? Why don't we just be open and help each other? I could have said that. I didn't. I just said, hey, let's get together. I could have said, guys, let's all – I need your help in figuring this out. But you know what I said instead? I said, I know the answer. I'm going to put it together and I'll put put it out there. I built this I built up a successful company, so I must know how to build this movement up too. And I didn't. Um, I could have said, "Hey, I'm going to draw people over because they really are going to be drawn to this message or I'll understand that this message doesn't resonate." But instead I said, "Oh, I'll buy the drinks. I'll buy everybody drinks. Let's just <laughs> get them out here and have them come together and somehow it'll all work out." Mm-hmm. So that's why that didn't work out. That's the first version of Mixergy. The thing failed there and it failed in a couple of other iterations and then I finally admitted publicly. You can go back on Mixergy.com uh-huh. and see it. I said, I failed and I put that out there and I said, now I'm going to actually open myself up to learning about what it takes to build a successful company and learning what it takes to be successful right from the ground up and I'm going to learn it directly from the people who've done it and I'll put it out there publicly so we can all learn together. And And then I went on to explain why it uh, why we need this, why we want to spend this time, what it, why it's important, and I continue spreading that message in all my interviews, and I'm doing it right here with you to your audience. That that's awesome. Now, uh, now when you say it was a failure, what do you mean by that? I mean, did you come to your meeting and no one was there, or some people were there, not as many as you expected? What what did failure mean back then? It's a good question. It was I somehow got into this idea that I said I have to create my own greeting cards, you know, my, my own invitations, not greeting cards. I said I was in the greeting card business. I know how to create these things. I'll create my own invitations and the invitations will draw more people to the events and draw them more together, draw mm-hmm. them more closely together. And so I started to do that and I realized – and then I – I realized that it wasn't working. So then I hired more people and then I said that's not working. So I said, OK, these guys aren't right. Let's hire – full-timers who are going to build this out. And then so that didn't work out. And I was throwing hundreds of thousands of dollars at this problem. Mm. In, a, in, the, in, in many ways, it's a failure. It's a failure because nobody used that greeting card system. Maybe okay. five friends who did me a favor used it. It was a failure because I lost all that money. And it was an even bigger failure because I was completely distracted. I did not want to be in the software business. I did not want to be in the business of creating invitations. I don't know how I got into that. Uh-huh. It was also a failure because, yeah, people – a lot of people came to the events and I like numbers and so I was very moved that I had big numbers at the events. But it was a failure in that all it had was big numbers and it didn't have big heart. It mm. didn't have big message. People okay. didn't leave it changed. They didn't leave it understanding anything. They left it maybe finding a date. They left it maybe finding a friend that's useful but it's not earth-shattering and it's not world-changing. Mm. Got you. Got you. So – what how did you realize and what 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 was it that how, how did you come to see that you needed to make a change and this change is x y z was there something that happened that triggered that or, or was it just you know over time you just started seeing that it's not working and okay you said okay what can i change was there an event, I guess? That's the question. A lot of things happened. I okay. mean, and really, I should have just stopped a long time before. But I'm a stubborn person. I really believe that I have to just get what I want. And that could be a mistake, to be honest with you. But I kept – and in this case, it definitely was. I just kept at it and kept at it even though every indication was this isn't where I want to be. There's this whole other world that I want to be in right now and that's what I need to be doing. So that's – that kept going on. I kept throwing money at, at it and that was that was very painful. Um, it's I don't think there was any specific one incident, okay. but there was this feeling of constant depression on me. Constant you're not doing what you want to be doing. You're you're not seeing any results from this either. And there's this other thing that you really want to do and you're not manning up and admitting it. Mm. And then I finally manned up and admitted it. And when I did, I remember just posting that 
and I remember that I was finally free to do what I loved and I was so clear about it that I actually told people what I wanted to do so now I could actually stand for that, for this need to, to learn. And I remember riding my bike with Olivia who was dating me at the time and married me recently and we were riding down Broadway in Santa Monica and I was listening to Kanye West and just feeling so free. Like mm. there's something about his message and something about just listening to that music that just made me enjoy it so much more than I did before. And I felt like I was flying on my bike. Like I was just – like I could do anything. Like I could finally do exactly what I wanted and I could just come directly at it. And that's what Mixergy has been. I mean the idea that started off as a kid who wanted to succeed in business, felt the business was creative, felt the business was the answer to everything, you know, to my own issues, my own personal issues and also the answer to like helping other people to finally say I want to pursue this business, the the business of, you know, the stuff that I love. I used to sit as a kid and read Forbes magazine back when Forbes magazine was different from today mm. and read these stories of successful people and how they met it, how they made it. And then um, Forbes magazine for like three years had this this side magazine called Audacity magazine. Long stories of people from history, like I guess the, the early 1900s who had succeeded in business and the stories of how they did it. There's like these long for a magazine biographies but shorter than books that would just illuminate someone's life that you never even heard of before. And I used to love getting carried away with those stories and I used to get motivated by them. And when I built my business, I actually learned from them. The, their lessons got stuck in my head and I, and I acted based on them. And I wanted to always just be in the world of those books, be in the world of those stories, be in the world of creating them. I didn't want to just admire uh, Malcolm Forbes' magazine and then Steve Forbes' magazine by the time that I read it. I wanted to create stuff like this. And so – when I was riding my bike after I let go of that failed idea, I felt great. I felt I felt more alive than mm. I had maybe at any other time. Maybe not, but one of the most alive I've ever felt. That's awesome. So uh, you admitted failure and yep. you came back at it. What, yes. What uh, – did it instantly explode when you came back at it or no. what, what, was it a slow process? Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? It was a very, very slow process. I mean when I was talking to um, uh, Seth Godin, I was really talking to him at first and 100 people uh -huh. on my site. Maybe not even 100 people because I, you had to download the full interview in order to hear it. I wasn't writing too many notes on it because it took forever and because I – actually, maybe I was putting out notes. But still, to really get it, you had to download the whole thing and that's a big ask to say to somebody, I am – a non-professional broadcaster. I don't speak especially well. I make mistakes with my thoughts. Sometimes after I speak, I say, wait, that's not exactly what I believe or it's not what I believe really. There's a shade uh -huh. of, of, of gray there that I didn't communicate. And so to say to people, this is who I am and put it out there and expect them to put me in their heads, to put the earphones on. Well, first of all, to learn how to download the freaking thing. It's still too hard to download an audio <laughs> program. Uh -huh. And they had to learn how to download it, learn how to drag it to their iPods on iTunes and then put it in their ears and listen to it. That's a big ask. And so I didn't get a lot of people who were listening. It took a very, very, very long time for people to listen. The upside of that though is that the few people who did listen were at least picking up on the message of what I was trying to do, that I was always communicating what this is about because I made the mistake before of not doing it. And I was drawing them to me that there, there was a group of people out there. They're not huge. They're never going to be the millions of people who will even represent a blip on the on on, on the, the network television's um, ratings. But they're small and they're passionate and they really want to do something with their lives. And they relate to me when I say that I I want to build a business because it solves problems, minds, and other people. I want to build a business because it's creative. I want to build a business because. I want to stand for something in my world. I don't want to live in Ted Turner's and Rupert Murdoch's world. <laughs> I want to be a part of it. Mm. And so to them, when I say that, they say, yes, I do too. And when I say, I don't know how to get you there by myself, they go, good. That finally tells me that you have integrity because there are all these people who claim they know everything mm. about what it takes. And then when I say, but I'm going to bring you all these other people who've done it and they're going to share their stories with you and you're going to learn along the way from them. They, this audience connects with that. 
And where do I go? I don't just give them a couple of uh, a couple of lines of text on a screen. I go in their heads. Me and my guests, someone right now is listening to us. I'm not on a piece of paper. I'm mm. in their heads. They look to the left. They look to the right. I'm right there with everything that I'm saying. And there's no other way to really – there's no tighter connection, I don't believe, than that. You can put something on the screen, but I'm promising you that the, you won't get the kind of attention that we have right now, the person who's listening to us. And – and that's the good thing about all this. It's a big ask, but what I've learned is that it also has a big payoff. That that's so awesome, and it's so true. I mean, I li- I listen to the interviews that you do, and when I'm listening to it, I might be just going for a walk, I might be cleaning around the house or something, and the the earphones are in my ear, so you're in my ear. So you're. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if you're speaking directly to me, and the person that you're interviewing is speaking directly to me. So that's that's an, a a tight connection there, and you know that it's. It, I definitely um, agree with you on how significant that is. Now, I I, I do want to talk a little. Uh, well, I, we want to. I want to move on to where we can talk about the actual interviews and how you do them and how how you get such great people. But before we go there, um, my my website is all about internet marketing, and one of the big things is internet marketing. In internet marketing is getting traffic. How did you go about getting traffic to your website? I interviewed people who had an audience of their own mm. and every time I interviewed them, their audience would find them. I once posted this – going back to Seth Godin. I posted something from Seth Godin and Seth Godin has a huge following uh-huh. and people just suddenly found my site. It was unreal. They just found it and I said, this is this is one of the best benefits of doing interviews. These people have followings. Today, it's not just Seth Godin who has a following. You have a following. Mm-hmm. I have a following. Every business person has a following, has this little community, like going back to what we learned from, from that original interview with Seth Godin. And when I interview them, they spread the message to their community. They say, go check me out here. Go listen to what I just said there. And uh-huh. they send me a lot of traffic, and that was a big help. That's that's awesome. So as someone that's relatively new uh, in terms of you, you didn't have a huge television network or anything promoting what you're doing. How do you get such big guys? I mean, um, Seth Godin, Gary Vaynerchuk, Tim Ferriss. How do you go about doing that? Um, Especially when you're new. Now, of course, you, you can uh, it, it'll be much easier for you. But as a beginner, how, how does someone go about doing that? There are times in people's lives when they want to talk to you. There are times in people's lives when they need to do interviews. Mm-hmm. And and Seth Godin, I did an interview with him when he was when he was talking about tribes and he wanted bloggers to talk about it, about the book. And what I did was when I had someone like him, I put him up on the website for everyone to see. And when I talked to future guests, I would say, hey, look – I don't want to make this all about Seth Godin, but he yeah. was on there and I would say, look, Seth Godin did an interview. You should do an interview. Uh-huh. And then you can bet that after Jimmy Wales did an interview, I went to the next person and said, <laughs> hey, Jimmy Wales did an interview and uh-huh. Seth Godin did an interview. And the next person might be Gary Vaynerchuk. So I go to the third person and say, Gary Vaynerchuk, Jimmy Wales and Seth Godin did an interview with me. Do you want to do it too? And you know, eventually I got a big lineup of people who were, who were well-known like that. Um, the other thing is, we're in a small period of time right now where, where, where we matter even if we don't have a huge following uh-huh. because, because people who want to get the word out know that bloggers are the answer to it. Now, eventually they're going to realize that, that small bloggers don't have that much power and they're going to gravitate towards the bigger bloggers, the Huffington Post, uh-huh. and they're going to gravitate towards the big media sites, which will start to get it right, and they won't come to us as much. But for now, I think we have an, an, an amazing opportunity. They want to show that they're connected. They want to reach out to the world in the new way, and the new way is us. And we might as well seize the moment. We mm. might as well talk to them. That, that, so, so do you encourage people then if they're doing interviews to try to go out there and get that one big person or do you encourage them to try with a smaller uh, – well, people that might not have as large an audience first? What is your recommendation where that's concerned? 
The first step is to go talk to your friends. You listen to my interviews and you keep hearing people over and over say that the first people they sold were their friends. The uh -huh. first people they brought in their community were their friends. I believe in interviewing, you go after the people who you know first to get yourself some practice, uh -huh. to show that you've done something, to screw up with them. The first interviews, you're going to make mistakes. Do it with them first. The first interview, you're going to feel awkward about asking. Uh -huh. Do it with them first. And the next step then is to say, not build yourself up. I I, uh, I did an interview with Tom Zaki, the guy who uh, who runs TerraCycle. TerraCycle takes takes junk right out of the garbage and makes products like backpacks out huh. of this garbage, and he sells it. And he said, I used to think I had to go to these small stores and work my way up to Walmart. And what I realized was I was in my truck. I was spending forever trying to get these little guys to even understand me. And once I did, I closed a small sale. It wasn't that much, and it not necessarily even enough to sustain him to get to the bigger sale. He said, then I discovered if I just went to Walmart and I did a, a deal with them, then everyone else would – first of all, I get a huge deal and then uh -huh. everyone else would recognize that there's some power here to me. I say the same thing when it comes to interviewing. You start off small just to get yourself some experience and then you go after the big guys. Who is the big guy in your world? Mm. person listening to me might not care about Seth Godin, might not care about Jimmy Wells, might not care about Gary Vaynerchuk, might not care about me, Andrew Warner. But there's someone in their world that they do care about. Go after them and go after them at a moment when they want to do business with you, when they're looking to do business with you. And that might be when they have a book. That might be when they have a new business to promote. Whatever it is, you talk to them. And then you fill in between them. And that's the way to do it. And that's the way too also if there's any kind of business deal that you want to get. You start off by going after one small partner who you know you can kind of make mistakes with or mm -hmm. who you know enough to get some feedback. You build up on those smaller connections that you know and then go after the big guys. Then go after the guys whose names are going to be so good that they're going to give you credibility with everyone else. Don't build up to them. And you may not even, and you probably shouldn't even start off with them because you don't want to screw up yeah. with them. You want to you you want to get a couple of uh, a couple of uh, people who care about you more than they would and are willing to give you feedback more than they might, and then and then follow that process. Go small, go huge, and fill in the gap. Do Do you get nervous when you do these interviews? Not anymore, but I used to. I used to get really really nervous. Okay. I realize right now I can't believe that I'm saying earlier in the interview I said I don't even speak that well. I don't even – I make mistakes. I sometimes say – I even surprise myself when I said I, – I sometimes say, hey, wait, there's a shade of gray. I forget how I said it but, I, but it came out and I said, whoa, where did that come from? <laughs> And since you brought it up, I'll tell you where it came from is every single weekday, every business day, I do another interview. I did one today. I did uh, – I actually did two of them yesterday and – no, three of them yesterday and one the day before. So every day I do at wow. least one interview and that gives me a lot of practice talking. If you ever want to get good at something, force yourself to do it every single day. How many salespeople who you saw on television said, wow, that Rompo Peel is amazing. How many guys like that did you find out? Every single day they uh -huh. sold on the boardwalk of Atlantic City, the Chopomatic or whatever else it was. And when they did it every single day, they got really good at selling. They got really good at overcoming their nervousness. They got really good at testing out something, failing with it and coming back the next day or the next minute and the next sale and getting better and better. And if I wanted to get good at something, I would construct a way for myself to always be practicing with no way out. I don't have a way out. I could be tired today or you and I, you know, <laughs> We still have what? Maybe 14 minutes left, left in this conversation. Uh -huh. within, within the next 14 minutes, I could make a big blunder. Mm -hmm. You can ask me a question that right now I'm full of like puff and enthusiasm and confidence. You could ask me a question that would just deflate all that like <laughs> nothing. And I would tomorrow say, you are a phony, Andrew. What are you doing uh -huh. telling people like how to even go and find like the top person in their space? You've never done business with Walmart and you're going to give them a, a – you're going to give them an example that includes going after Walmart? And – I could just completely lose my confidence and never get back into it, never recover and never learn from the experience except tomorrow morning someone else at 10 a.m. Eastern is going to interview me and I have another interview for Mixergy set up at 11 a.m. Mm. and I can't get out of them. I will not allow myself to not live up to my obligations. And so if I do suck today, I have another opportunity to get better tomorrow and I'm forced to try tomorrow and then that makes me overcome and overcome the setback, not even give it much thought and get better. And then whatever it is that I'm that that will deflate me if it does deflate me and uh, what do we have 13 minutes now, mm -hmm. whatever it is that deflates me, I'm going to spend time thinking what happens next time if that comes up? What happens next time if he asks me this question about Walmart or whatever it is and I don't have the answer to it? Well, next time, hey, 
I'll come up with some solution for it for the next time. Yeah. And it probably will come up next time and I'll come up with an answer for it and and I'll be better. And that's the way that we improve. Find a way if there's anything you ever want to do to just do it, do it every over. single day to not give yourself any nice. room to back out. Nice. I, I really like that. Now, you, you speak with a lot of who I would consider to be big guys. Um, how do you get them to get so personal and reveal so much about themselves? I mean, I've listened to some things. I mean, you're asking them how much money they make and about their fears and struggles and failures. How do you get them to be so open? This is what you're doing for me right now is giving me an opportunity to talk feels great. I'm uh-huh. now on a high. Somebody actually cares about what I have to say. Somebody's shutting up and letting me talk. It feels great. We cannot underestimate that in this world, there are not enough opportunities for people to just talk. Mm. When do you get to just talk? Imagine you go home to your wife and you say, I had this problem at work. And she listens for a couple of minutes, but then she also gets a text message or she listens for a couple of minutes and she also has to, you know, get ready for bed because tomorrow is a busy day or there's something else that comes up or maybe I don't know what. So you don't get that opportunity or you, you, you have to go and do a business meeting and you ask and someone asks you, well, how's your day going? You can't be open. You can't spend five minutes answering the question. You say it's good and then you move on to the business. Yeah. You just don't get many opportunities to open up. So just by you giving me an opportunity, you could see that I feel great and I'm relishing it. Same thing happens to my guests. They just by being given an opportunity to talk, they feel more alive, more human. They feel more grateful for – they feel grateful for having that opportunity. And that helps a lot in getting people to open up. We want to open up. We're not trying to hide as people. We're trying to open up and be heard. The world doesn't give us an opportunity to do it because if we really say – if I if I say something that I'm not supposed to, someone could take it the wrong way and use it against me. Mm. If I say something I'm not supposed to, someone could say, hey, he's a weakling. He believes that he was uh, inferior and everything that he does comes from a point of inferiority. You know, So the world doesn't give us opportunities to do that. Through interviews, we give people the opportunity to be themselves, to do what they really want, which is to open up. And so that's the one thing that I do that people mostly underestimate. Give my audience room to just open up. The second thing that I do is I shut up. And this is harder than it, than it feels. You ask a question and then you let the person answer it. And what I used to do was say, how much money did you make last year? Well, you know, if you want to say it. If you don't want to say it, it's okay. I'm not looking <laughs> to pry. What I'm trying to find out is, you know, about how big your business is. Uh-huh. But isn't it weird that really money matters, that revenue matters in a business? Shouldn't passion matter? But there's no way to measure passion. You know, you can see where I was going. Uh-huh. What I – thankfully, my first interviews were all audio interviews. So I would ask a question and then – to stop myself from backing out of it, I physically hit the mute button <laughs> and I put my hand on my mouth. Now, when you ask a question like that, you at least give the person an opportunity to say, I don't want to answer it and possibly give them an opportunity to really answer. And it's painful to just sit there quietly. Use car salesmen and new car salesmen and other people use this kind of power against us. Look, we are now at – 51 seconds and two, 51 minutes and three seconds in the conversation. Mm-hmm. As soon as we get to 5110, I'm going to pause the mic. Let's see if we can not talk for 10 seconds. See. That's 10 seconds. That's very painful. People want to <laughs> fill that space up, uh-huh. especially after they've been on a roll talking. So if I just shut up and give them the opportunity to fill in the gap, they're going to fill it in. And at the very least, they're going to say, I don't want to talk about it because it's a private company and I also believe that. And then that I also believe that or whatever comes after those those words will be interesting and will be useful. So that's the other thing that I do. And I think that um, I should probably do more of that in the real world. But uh-huh. <laughs> at least in interviews, I'm forced to do it and I give people an opportunity to really get in and talk. There you go. Now, a number of people listening to this might be starting new podcasts and they'd be interested in interviewing others. Um, they might not have thought about it before until they heard this interview. So what I want is for you to give some tips. Uh, I'm not going to give a specific numbers, but a specific number. What? But what are your best tips so that this person can listen to this interview and go and interview someone and do it? better than they used to do it before what's the first tip okay um what i'm trying to come up with an example to say this all Mm -hmm. right i'll use this example when i was a kid and and there weren't podcasts and there weren't people who were willing to talk about business i mean it just wasn't out there 
There were these old scratchy records. I didn't have a record player, but I had a tape recorder or CD recording of them by a guy called Nightingale Conant, I think his name was. Was it? No, he was Earl Nightingale. Mm-hmm. And I listened to it. And even though it sucked, I was willing to listen because he actually he had ideas that made sense to me at the time. And then there were other successful people who I'd listened to and they weren't on TV because TV is full of junk reality TV shows and sitcoms and dramas that don't have any substance to them and news that pretends to be news but is really opinion and opinion isn't really held by anyone. It's just there uh-huh. to to provoke the audience into watching and talking about it. So the one place where I could get it and it was something that mattered to me even though it was scratchy records recorded on tapes and somehow made them way to CDs or however it got to me, I was willing to listen to it because it was that valuable. It was that useful. And so everyone wants to know what microphone do I use. And I could tell you I use the Rode Podcaster today and I might use something else tomorrow. Uh-huh. Everyone wants to know the software I use. And I could tell them it's the Ecamm call recorder and tomorrow it might be something else. But what they don't ever understand is – I could have the perfect equipment and there are lots of people on YouTube who have the perfect setup and no one watches them and the same could happen to me. What's really important is the ideas. If the ideas are good and you stumble through them, then people will will put up with it and will want it and will crave it and thank you for it. If the ideas suck, you can have all the moving images and all the great um, chirons and no one will care. So start with that and then say to yourself, what's the easiest way for me to do this the most frequently? And if the easiest way for you to do it the most frequently is like it is for me to just do video, Skype, hit record, send it to an editor, we'll edit it and post it up on my website. If that's the way it works for you, then do that. If the easiest way for you to learn and put the information out there is to have a phone call with someone once a day, and write down on a piece of paper your notes, take a picture of it and post it on uh, on Flickr, then make that the, th- the way you do it. If the easiest thing for you to do is something else that I can't even think of right now, do that. The important thing isn't the design. You're never going to win on design because television is mm. going to beat you. CNBC has more designers than you have hours in the day. Don't compete on that. Go for the ideas. Ask, And the way to get the ideas is to say, what do I really care about? Mm. What am I really passionate about and curious about and need in my life? And be selfish for yourself. And then you're going to find that there are other people who also feel the same way. So in the early days for me, it was how do you get traffic? Nobody was listening to me. So I did interviews with people who showed me how to get people to watch. Was I the only one in the world who felt that way? No. And when those people discovered my interviews and they heard me ask questions and I asked the questions that were on their mind, they say, how did you read my mind? What kind of surveys? <laughs> did you take to understand people like me to give you market research that will touch me the way that you did? And the answer, of course, was none. I'm I'm asking the questions that I really genuinely need. And in that genuine place, you're connecting with me. And the same thing would happen to you, the person who I'm talking to, the person who is now saying maybe interviewing isn't for me. But I'm telling you, it's for you. The idea of learning directly from people is mm. for you. There's n- there's no reason why you shouldn't be doing interviews. The, I, the You should be sitting down or talking to in some way with somebody new as often as you could and learn directly from them. And don't tell me that you read blogs because you're not <laughs> going to learn as much from blogging be, uh, from blogs because you're going to have the monkey brain that's going to force you to click here and click there. Yeah. And it's not going to give you the, the depth of an interview. And a blog cannot respond to your questions in the way that an interview can. And a blog can't force you to just sit and pay attention because there's somebody on the other end who's talking talking to you and waiting for you to respond and you want to create your own you want to create your own questions and respond to questions and uh, and only an interview will do it and it doesn't have to be my way you know what I wish that when I was when I before I was starting out when I was starting out in business I should say before I started out interviewing I wish that I would start talking to people who who I admired and said can I do an interview over coffee with you can I just talk to you about how you do what you do and unfortunately, if you do that in the world, people will often say, I don't have time for it or they'll feel a little awkward about it. But if you say, what I do is publish interviews on Flickr, whatever it is, or on my website, uh-huh. then you have an excuse to just sit there and answer and they have an opportunity to be heard and they're, they're going to feel good about it. So that's the way – that's my advice to them. Focus on the ideas. Awesome. And and focus on ideas that you are passionate about at the time, maybe interviewing someone that's an expert in exactly what you are wanting to know about. Yes. You want to start dating? Start talking to people. Start doing interviews with people about how they met their, their, the love of their lives or the nice. dates. 
just every day crank those things out. Do interviews with them. Find them on Craigslist. Find them in your life. Ask them after you do an interview with one of them, who else do you know who I should be interviewing? Do interviews every day about it. You want to learn how to become a better runner because running is something that you want to take up or you want to get better at or you want to do a marathon. Do interviews. It doesn't have to be every day. I don't want to freak people out and say yeah. every day you should do it. It would be nice if you did it every day. But, but find a consistent schedule. Mm-hmm. Exactly. A regular basis to force you to do it. Imagine if you were every – say every week – going to talk to a different person who ran a marathon and you wanted to be a runner. You'd get a perspective of one guy who came close to winning and that would inspire you and open you up to new ideas in one way. Then you'd do another one with somebody else who just made the first one and took him maybe seven hours. And you do a third one with someone different who I can't even think of to use it as an example here. <laughs> and what's going to happen is all of them are going to influence you nice. in one way or the other. Mm-hmm. I, did an, I did an interview at some point this week with a guy called um, uh, Nori Yoshida. And I went back about 10 years and found his old stuff on the web, like even back when he was in college and would sit at Next House dorm lounge with his friends and order Quan's Kitchen. And I only know this stuff because I did that kind of research on the guy. Uh-huh. And in doing that kind of research, I saw that when he was starting out, he was more interested in, in development. He wasn't interested in sales. He was more interested in just like software and ideas and he wanted to be an engineer for a big company. And he eventually did get to be an engineer at a big company. But what he told me was he became an entrepreneur because he heard so many other entrepreneurs because just talking to entrepreneurs and seeing them in his life opened him up to entrepreneurship, made him feel like that's just a, an acceptable path that he, he said it never occurred to him that that was a possibility. He started a business that could have been a business. He said he gave it up because he didn't want his grades to suffer. And I said, why? He says, well, because my path was the only path that I thought was possible, which is going to work for a big company. Uh-huh. I say dude now because when I lived in, in Southern California, people said dude around me and without forcing myself every day to learn to, to work harder and say dude more often – I just found myself saying it. And by finding myself – by surrounding myself with people who said it, I started saying it too. Surround yourself with people through these interviews who do what you want to do, who do what you admire in life. You don't even have to start setting records, start setting um, um, uh, goals for yourself for how many runs you have to do or how much whatever it is that you're trying to do. Just being around those people will put you in the frame of mind to go and do it. You do an interview every week with a runner and you tell me that you're not going to feel like running, that you're not going to just – you're just not going to become a runner. And if that's true, then maybe you should – maybe running isn't the thing for you. Maybe you really have an aversion to it. But my feeling – and you should go pick up something else and it's a good thing that we've discovered that. My feeling is – my gut and my experience tell me is you talk to that many people, whether you want it or not, you're going to start to run. You're going to mm. start to take up their, their, their habits nice. and maybe their habits aren't going to the gym the way your friends are. But their habits are running into work and showering somewhere, uh, showering at a gym and then going into work. And that might be an idea that never occurred to you before you did these interviews. But you do the interviews, you suddenly get that thought planted in your head without even thinking about it. You suddenly say, hey, I'd like to run to work because my train really stinks and my commute is a big waste of time. And I'd like to listen to this podcast that Andrew Warner is creating and listen to it and get him in my head. Hey, you know what? I'm going to run to work like this guy who I interviewed. And that's how it will come out. I don't know how, but it will find a way to come out. Nice, very nice. Now, this is not something that we spoke about before, but mm-hmm. it, be, when I was um, doing my preparation for this interview, I went to your website, and there it was. I saw something in the sidebar, learn how to interview. I clicked on it. I saw you had a product mm-hmm. teaching how to interview. I purchased the product, and I, I, list, I watched the presentation. I downloaded all the resources that you had, and when I came to this interview, I felt more prepared than I've ever felt for any interview. Uh-huh. Can, you, can you tell us a little bit about that product? Oh, thank you. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I should be talking about this stuff more. My next, my next step with Mixergy after doing hundreds of interviews is to find the people who I've interviewed and have them teach something, teach mm. what they do best. Nice. And if I'm going to ask them to do it, then I said I should do it too. And – my thing that I'm loving doing and that I believe others should do is is uh, is interviewing. So I said, I'll teach a course on how to interview. Mm-hmm. And in that course, a lot of what we talked about here will come out. A lot of the ideas of finding guests and more depth on that is covered there, of finding sponsors and that's covered in more depth. And all these ideas are in there. And for anyone who wants it, they could just go to Mixergy.com, M-I-X-E-R-G-Y.com and go click and sign up for the, for the course. Um, 
and I, I probably actually by the time they well hopefully by the time they get there this it'll still be up because my goal isn't to use the site to sell courses on how to interview. I put it up there because I think it's important and people should get it, but it won't be up there forever. So I don't want to promise it. If it's not, you'll find my email address and you can contact me and I'll show you where it is. Well, then I'm going to say really quick, if you're listening to this and you care about interviewing, go and grab that product. It's a great product and I learned a lot from it. It definitely goes into a lot of what we spoke about today and then some. So I highly recommend it. Andrew, this was great. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to uh, do this interview with me. Thank you for sharing all that you've shared and for being as personal as you were and just giving us some good value. So thanks so much for that, Andrew. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Hey, anyone want to check out more of what he's doing? Listen to some of his interviews with, oh man, so many awesome people and learn a lot. Just go over to Mixergy.com, M-I-X-E-R-G-Y.com, and I will have a link to that in the show notes as usual. Go there, check it out, subscribe in iTunes, leave comments, interact, and just learn as much as you can. Uh, As usual, this is Leslie Samuel from LearningWithLeslie.com. Thank you so much for listening to this one, and I'll see you in the next episode.